0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your Places call. All right, everybody, back to one. Standby, lights one and sound one. Camera speeding, audio speeding. Lights and sound, go. And action. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. This is another solo episode that we recorded a few weeks ago. I had a chance to talk to somebody really awesome and fun, so I can't wait to share uh, this person with you for this current episode. Uh, Sorry, we had a one-week hiatus last week. Uh, I was out of town and we just couldn't record anything. So we're, uh, we're going into the bank, and I am going to present this amazing discussion that I had with Christine Willis. Now, you may not be familiar with the name, but Christine has been a part of so many different shows, uh, such as Dead Like Me, Reaper. You may have seen her in uh, Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat. She's an amazing character performer and just an incredible person to really learn from. I think I feel like I learned a lot from what she shared in this episode. Uh, you know what it means to be a performer and what it means to adapt and dedicate yourself to the profession. So I fanboyed out a little bit. In this episode, and uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it. So, without further ado, let's introduce Christine Willis. Okay, so Christine, thank you so much for coming onto the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Tyler. Oh,
0: wonderful. It's awesome having you on here. Uh, for our listeners, who I hope many of them are fans of yours, but those of you, or those of you who are listening and don't know uh, who Christine Willis is, would you mind telling them who you are and what you do?
1: Sure, sure, with pleasure. Um, I'm an actor, I'm what's called a character actor. So I'd actually be quite surprised if many of your listeners know who I am. Uh, But I still pop into their living rooms uninvited on many of the shows that uh, are aired in the States. I'm based out of Canada and I transitioned from stage to um, film and television in the industry in Vancouver, uh, that started to develop after I'd already spent about twenty years on stage. So, moving into the film and television world was uh, a, a late development in my career as a performing artist.
0: So, how did uh, how did that start for you? Did you always want to go into the arts, or did you have something else in mind, and that was just a hobby? How did how did that all start?
1: No, I always wanted to go into uh, acting specifically. Uh, Where I lived as a teenager uh, in the capital of Canada, it's a city called Ottawa. Uh, Back before the flood, when I was a teenager, there was um, a a national art center built and there was a program for uh, young artists in the city that I took part in. Uh, where I auditioned and became part of a company that toured uh, shows around to uh, high schools in the area. And that's where I got bit. And from there, I auditioned for one of the, uh, auditioned for the two theater schools that were in Canada at the time and got accepted at one.
0: So what was that that like getting into a a theater school? Did you feel any sort of... I don't want to say fear, but maybe you know some anxiety going into it. Or did you feel like no, oh, like I got this, I can do this?
1: Oh, Tyler, you know, I was so green. I had <laughs> no idea about how theater worked as a profession. Uh, I was very idealistic. I started training as an actor when I was eighteen. Um, I was so enraptured with having found a milieu where I didn't feel as wildly out of place as I did in most of uh, the other milieus I'd been exploring as a a teenager in high school. So I left the worrying to my very conservative parents, and they did it all for me. (laughs) until I graduated and had to find a job and then I took on worrying for myself
0: (laughs) what what was the what was the support like there were they I mean obviously I'd hope they were supporting you with you know your your drive to further into this profession when you graduated was it more of a hey give yourself a few years if it doesn't work out we'll figure something else out or did they just kind of leave you to to figure it out on your own
1: they left me to figure it out on my own because they couldn't help. Yeah. They didn't know. I mean, it hadn't been that long that Canadian actors could stay in Canada and build a career on stage, you know. Uh okay. People like the Raymond Burrs of the world, who was a Canadian actor, they'd all had to leave. So I was maybe the second generation of Canadians who stayed. But nobody who was considered an average middle-class Canadian knew how it worked, how you got a job, just that it was very unlikely that it would work. And you really, if you were prudent, should consider doing something else. But I didn't realize how any of that worked until I graduated and started looking for work. And then at that point, Tyler, I set myself a 10-year limit. I thought, if oh. at the end of 10 years I can't support myself as an actor, I'm really going to have to find something else.
0: Oh, thats I think that's a good plan for most of that. It gives you that that hunger and that drive to, to figure it out early on. Did you... Yeah. I mean, what was it like having that limit? Did you find it within 10 years? Was it maybe a little bit into those first 10 or maybe after the the first 10 that you started to find more solid work or what was that time yeah. like for you? <laughs> That's always interesting. That
1: I, <laughs> I kind of squeaked in about the seven or eight year mark and then things started to change rather rapidly. Um, I mentioned when I introduced myself that I'm what's called a character actor and I think that's true in the states as well certainly all of my American colleagues that I work with up here in Canada if they consider themselves a character actor you know that's the terminology they use so that meant that I was uh, at the, for the time I was too tall for a, a leading stage lady, you know, I was five, nine, I was um, very curvy. So there was no uh, niche for my physical type uh, other than in character acting. And that remained true when I segued into film and television. But I quite loved that. I'm one of those actors who really enjoys uh, transforming into a part. I'm I'm quite delighted when people don't know, don't recognize me, or, you know, if it takes a few minutes before they figure out who it is. And it's just people I know, of course. Yeah.
0: It's the the finger pointing, you know, in the squinty eye saying, I know you from somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. That kind of thing. Oh, sorry about that um yeah so how did we get off onto this
0: yeah so uh uh i was wondering as far as you know the the 10-year run oh, the 10 years yeah yeah i'm about uh about nine years into to my career and i'm noticing that you know i'm, I'm starting to figure out who i am as an actor and as somebody oh, who can fill a certain character so i i can yeah I, I can relate to that having that you know sort of oh maybe maybe this is it maybe this is what What's uh, what I'm built for, but I uh, no, I, I love everything you bring to the different characters you you portray. Whether it's you know Gladys from Reaper, which is where I, I first saw you, and I thought she's <laughs> she's so awesome. This is incredible. <laughs> and the year after that, it was um, watching a movie I was looking forward to for years, which was Trick or Treat. You know, you had a very oh. small part in there, but uh, you you just crushed it within you know five to to twenty seconds. You were on screen for that film. And Thank you. Uh, yeah, and as a character actor, you know, when you are looking at a certain part, what's your, what's your prep like to kind of find and fulfill that character? Is there a lot of prep before, or do you really find that when you're on set shooting?
1: Um, I'm gonna answer your question about prep, but I realized I got lost and didn't answer your question about the <laughs> 10 year mark, so. Let's go back and handle let's, let's that.
0: Let's
1: go back. <laughs> so, uh, what? Why I started in on the character actor thing is that there was a limit. There was a limited market for me, and I had had success when training as an actor. So, moving into the profession and every the profession and everybody surviving my entry into the profession without even really noticing I had entered the profession was kind of a hmm what's going on moment and you know that is not designed to build one's confidence so I realized that if I was going to give this a shot I had to find my way in front of an audience because I thought that the gatekeepers you know the folks who auditioned and hired actors were so set in their ways that they didn't know what to do with someone like me So uh, with a group of actors, we did some research and found out that in the States, actually, actors were getting together and uh, putting up shows on a box office risk. And that was not being done in Canada at that time. It certainly wasn't being done in Western Canada. So that's what I pioneered with other actors, of course, not by myself, in Western Canada, what became Canadian Actors' Equity. I'm a member of both Canadian and American Equity. Um, uh, Cooperatives, they were called. And so we did some original material. And then when I moved to Vancouver, after I finished my training as an actor, we would get the rights to do things like very popular comedies, the Alan Aikborn trilogy, the Norman Conquest, for example, and Chris Durang's Beyond Therapy. And these were wildly successful. And so I, and from that, I knew that if I could get in front of an audience, then I got the affirmation that I can actually do this job. So I had to find a way around the gatekeepers And that's how I found it. And then after that, I started to develop more original material. And that led to a modest um, international success with a a stage play called Sex Tips for Modern Girls. So that's the answer to the (laughs) 10-year mark. Okay, going going back to prep. (laughs) I am a complete acting nerd. I found it very challenging to develop a way of working that worked for me. And at the university that I w- that I went to, there was a strong British influence. There was also a wonderful teacher who'd worked with uh, Viola Spolin. Mm. I hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, uh, an improvisational, and uh, I think her son is one of the people who developed story theater. Um, Uh, I'm dating myself. You now know officially that I'm an elder actor. So there were all these influences, but I couldn't make a ton of sense out of how to approach my work. And then, luckily, two... leaders came to the West coast of Canada around the same time. And one was the great Carol is the great Carol Rosenfeld from the HB studio in New York. And she would come out and do workshops with us. And the other is a, a woman who's now deceased who trained with Joan Littlewood in, um, in England. And that was my first introduction introduction to a really, Honest and practical approach to straight up basic Stanislavski. And I'd somehow gone through four years of actor training with only getting bits and pieces of it. So once I found that, then it started to develop um, much, much more robustly my own approach to my work. And over the years, I've also coached folks in that. That forces an artist, at least force me, I can't speak for all artists, to be articulate and succinct. Uh, and I have to apologize to all the young actors that I worked with before I learned how to be succinct, because I would go on. Um, and the, the last influence, uh, last two influences I've had is Larry Moss, who also came to Vancouver, who's just such a a wonderful, wonderful uh, acting teacher. He knows more about acting than anybody I know. And uh, an English director um, who wrote a book called The Director's Craft, and of course I'm blank, Katie Mitchell. Mm. And she believes that directors can really only talk to actors about making adjustments in seven areas. And that also really helped me to... You know, narrow it down and stop writing three-volume novels about you know a two-scene part and and cut to the chase and what's important. So uh, I use her idea about what she called ingredients, and that those are uh, place, time, immediate circumstances, uh, relationships, um, events. Which are sometimes called beats, sometimes called units, depending on what what world you're in and intentions. So that's the process that I use for myself. Oh, in relationships, did I say relationships? Yeah, <laughs> I've got them all. What what the character cares about, yeah. right? Um, and that uh, I'm getting real nerdy on you here, Tyler. I love it. No, keep it going. You're a theater guy, so <laughs> so. Katie Mitchell's idea about relationships being what do characters care about really helped me with uh, Carol Rosensfeld's teaching from the HB Studio and inner and outer objects and all of that. It just it clarifies that you can use that language with a six year old child actor or someone like me, and it still communicates and and resonates. Yeah so that's how I do it and I also work with actors who who hire me to break down scripts that they're going to shoot
0: okay is that something that you've been doing for a while
1: um about 10 years okay yeah
0: yeah and how are you how are you liking that so far it's just it sounds like that'd be a fun gig to just come in and break down the script and help them you know figure out all those different elements
1: yeah it's a great gig although there's inevitably a time crunch because if you're working with someone who is uh, a lead in a film or a tv series they're a busy actor and the reason they're coming to you is they they want to get this work done you know they're serious actors but when are they supposed to do it so um, getting it done fast and you know, I've only had limited success with getting really fast. I don't ever charge actors all the hours I work because it would just be completely cost prohibitive. And I don't, I don't really advertise with that. There's, there's people who know me who've worked with me for uh, about ten years, and I really enjoy working with them.
0: So definitely more of a referral basis to, <laughs> to That's keep right. the overhead low. I got it. I got That's it. That's right. Yeah. Well, that that's, but, I, I, I'm sorry, what were you going to say?
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, but that approach that I outlined is what I use, whether I'm uh, working on a Disney episodic or a Hallmark movie or uh, an indie, you know, and everything in between.
0: Oh, okay. And you know what, you, uh, you know, being such a, such a fan of, of acting and in theater and just performance, I think that really, you know, it doesn't feel like, I'm sure it feels like work, but it doesn't feel like work with you doing all of that, going through all that for the character. It, uh, it has to feel rewarding, you know, when you're, you're on set or you're on stage and you, you've completely fulfilled that character but uh, would you say that you're somebody that likes to pick apart your performances if you say you see them on tape or uh, you, you catch a, a syndicated episode of, of television you, you were on you know, years past, do you critique your work pretty harshly or do you try to let that go? Um,
1: I trained myself <clears throat> to watch my early work on film and television as if I was watching somebody else um, like every actor, especially if you start on stage and then all of a sudden it's about what you see. It's very disorienting, can be panic-inducing and can be just devastating if you can't get past how you actually look on film as opposed to how you look on your, in your head. Um, so that's how I approached it. I thought, okay, not looking at yourself you're looking at somebody else and you're looking at this to see if it's effective did you get the job done and once i did that uh it helped me up my game so i that and i have to give full credit to jillian anderson who is one of the first um that was one of my first jobs was on x files and like the second season or something and I was still I considered myself a stage actor um I was really woefully arrogant and this is a really don't be like me all you listeners at home don't be like me <laughs> I was a stage actor I didn't expect to ever have a career in film um my agent told me I'd been cast in this show called the x file that hadn't even heard about it I don't know that I owned a TV at that point wow. and and it was about aliens and I thought oh god what nonsense and then <laughs> I hit the set it was in hair and makeup a very nice young woman said hi I'm Jillian I play and she rattled off a name I didn't even know who the characters were I mean this is truly shame inducing for me to think about how arrogant I was and when we hit the set at the rehearsal, at the rehearsal, Tyler, she just blew me away and I thought, okay, I better get my head in the game right now because this is a serious actor. So, you know, she didn't say anything to me. She just did her work. Yeah. And that was completely inspiring to me. And I got a chance to thank her. I had a small part on the reboot <laughs> and tell her uh, how she'd inspired me. And I ended up switching from stage to film and television and supported my family with film and television work. Really through seeing how committed she was to her work.
0: Yeah, she's absolutely incredible. I feel like yes, that... she, is. <laughs> she she carried more than half of that show in my honest opinion. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to kind of go back to that and and see what that transition was like going from stage to to screen. You know, if, um, mm. if you felt a lot of uh, sort of pushback with you being, you know, primarily a stage actor going into film and TV, or at that time, did it feel like it was very, um, uh, I guess, sort of synonymous to, to what I guess you were looking for?
1: Um, the short answer is it wasn't what I was looking for mm. at all. It was a combination of working with, I said, with a very good actor. Mm -hmm. On material that wasn't my personal taste, I'm not a sci-fi fan. And so that was also revelatory. Um, So that was number one. And then number two, uh, I found myself a single mother with two kids to support and you can't, I couldn't do that on stage um, in Canada. So, I had to make the transition. And I felt that I had really, I was disadvantaged in many ways coming from the world of stage. At that time, all of the actors in Vancouver were constantly being told their work was too big. Um, and we didn't know how to adjust. Um, How we were performing without becoming so bland that there was really nothing worth watching. So there was that. To this day, I'm really not clear about lens sizes. And I'm so I make and how they affect the adjustments that have to be made, whereas somebody who started as a child is all over that. And they know exactly how to um, tighten up her performance or loosen it up for a bigger, wider shot. Um, so I try to make friends with the camera crew and I'm straight with them. I came from stage, never got this, tell me what you need and I'll do it.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, all that terminology when it's thrown out on set just, that, just tell me what you need from me I don't know what any of that means <laughs> mm, mm. and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure even now have you gone back to theater as you've been working in film and television uh, is that something you've been kind of going back to or
1: not really uh, I did a show two or three years ago which I thoroughly enjoyed but you know as i said i'm an i'm an elder stateswoman now as an actor <laughs> and what i had forgotten when i went back to do the stage show is you know when you're working on stage you get up in the morning you go to work you come home you eat and you're when you're in rehearsal you go over all your scenes you go to bed and repeat and when you're in performance it's that plus no time to do laundry, you know, you're working six days a week. And so it, yeah, it doesn't have the same attraction, which was a shock to me to discover. I thought that I had been cornered into giving something up. And actually I was given the gift of being able to move into a different media where i can sustain my artistic practice really until i can no longer speak so
0: yeah yeah that that's an interesting way of looking at it right you'd think mm-hmm. you hear actors saying oh, i'd like to go back to theater but hearing what you're saying no i, I like sleep <laughs> <laughs> scheduled hours
1: <laughs> yeah i like to have a life yeah you know <laughs> I like to go to coffee with a friend, not oh, I can't. I've got a matinee, or we've got rehearsal this afternoon. Haven't you been open for two weeks? Yeah, but blah blah <laughs> blah blah blah. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, what is it like, especially now? You've been you've been doing it for for quite some time since you know the X Files episode. Are you still auditioning for you know television programming, or do you get you know a couple offers here and there? What What's that like for you currently?
1: Um, uh, I'm, I'm a working actor, Tyler. That's, that's what I am. Um, what the, the, what did I hear it called when I was in LA? Uh, a middle-class actor, I think. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, worker B, how about that? So yeah, I mostly audition and I've always mostly auditioned. Um, it's kind of a, a wonderful and terrif- terrifying pre-fall when I get offered something because now I've been doing it so long that I also had to really work on how I approached film and television auditions. And Larry, when Larry was the great gift in that way, he taught us to think of auditions as our opportunity to show folks how we would play the part. Right, So you get out of that, oh, please like me, please, please hire me, please love me, and more into, okay, this is what I would do as an artist with this part. How does it fit with your vision? And if it doesn't, great, because I'm not the person for you. I've done enough work that this is the way I see it. Um, In the old days, when you actually had the director and sometimes the producer in the room, you could be asked to make adjustments. And, and that was fine. But still, I think you've got to be up front with the people who are looking to fill this role. Yeah. Um, so now when I'm offered something, I haven't done that work. So I'm going, oh, oh, all right. Well, how would I play this part? And yeah. So it's thrilling and slightly terrifying when you first hit the set. And, you know, because they could go oh my god what is happening here this is not what we wanted at all although so far touch wood that hasn't happened
0: that's i'm gonna i knock on wood on my side too <laughs> yeah i feel like that would that, that keeps you humble as as a performer as well you know yeah if it's it more auditioning and uh i guess what is it like auditioning Now, compared to, I mean, now we have self tapes and, you know, this pandemic period, almost everything is virtual. So, uh, as far as you starting out, you know, in X Files and subsequent TV shows, when you're going through that process, when you first started, do you have that same mindset of, I have to offer what, you know, I can offer to the character? Or was there a time where maybe you, you know, um, you had a a different experience where you, you tried in so hard to get them to just like you? To get the part was there any experience like that? i know most actors may have that audition a couple times a year um but just wanted to see if there is any moment that you'd like to share <laughs> where that may have occurred
1: sure um like auditioning for stage especially when you're you know have to really think back young and starting out it's easy at least it was easy for me to get sidetracked into the personalities of the director I was auditioning for, or the theater company that I was auditioning for, or when I started doing film and television, the casting director, it was all about the casting director, and -and so-and-so didn't like me, or so-and-so only did this kind of work, and so I would never get a chance with them, and first of all that's all projection you know you can't really tell what's going on with those and I realized rather late that it was a complete waste of time and I was much better off focusing my attention on as I said how would I play this part showing that work and coming in with the I'm a professional. If you hire me, this is what you're going to get. Thank you for the opportunity. I used to force myself to say things like that, but I didn't believe them. And now I do. A day with with acting for me is much better than a day without acting. So (laughs) if my acting that day is an audition, I really am grateful to the people who've given me an opportunity to explore my my art and my craft.
0: You hear that? hear that actors?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I will, like I'm leading with, I had to repeat it until it became true. I had to get past my own cynicism in in that regard. So was there a moment where that crystallized? Well, I'll I'll repeat again what what Larry taught us. An audition is an opportunity to show your work, get out of the powers. Don't give all your power over to these people. They can't do their projects without us. So there was that. And then um, I auditioned for the late, great Brian Dennehy for something, I can't even remember what. And, you know, I knew his reputation and, It was early days and we went in and I did the thing and he looked down and he looked up and said, well, that was certainly what I had in mind when I wrote this scene. And he was so complimentary and so lovely. And I left thinking, well, booked that. And of course, never heard a thing afterwards. So that was the other trap that I had to learn to avoid. He was being kind and thoughtful, right? It was on me that I took that kindness and assumed that it meant that I had been cast in the role. So I think like a lot of old hands, I've now gotten to the point where I prefer that people really don't say anything other than it works or it doesn't work. Mm
0: yeah I, being blunt in this business is is the best gift
1: <laughs> right and keep it out of the realm of liking something or something yeah. being brilliant or terrible or anything we're we're all at work here so what language can we use to encourage each other and ourselves to do the our best work katie mitchell uses the word sharpen and i just mm-hmm. love that now you know you that's the language I use when I'm coaching and when I'm talking to myself you can sharpen that you know and it's got a craftsman like feel to it doesn't yeah. It, Tyler? Yeah. yeah
0: I've heard that a handful of times in auditions and callbacks and every time I know exactly what you're talking about you go,
1: yeah okay yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like get to work not, yeah. oh my god <laughs> I have to go to bed for a week because they hate me so much <laughs> yeah
0: I I do wonder, have you ever thought about, uh, or if you have, writing some of your own projects or whether it's a a, a play or a short film or maybe a, a television show, have you ever thought about dabbling in writing if you haven't already?
1: Um, as I said, I did a little bit of writing for theater uh, 35 years ago. At that point, there was a lot of collective creation going on. and I liked that. My attempts to sit in front of some kind of writing device and do it individually, um, I, I I didn't enjoy that as much. Uh, I did work with a partner and developed a TV series that we weren't able to sell. So am I interested? Yeah. Um, but I have to make a more rigorous transition to include that as part of my artistic practice than I have done up to this point. You know, it's one of those things that I think like many creative people think I'll get to that one day. And (laughs) now it's tick, tick. If you're gonna do it, you have to do it. And so I don't know, I don't know.
0: Right, that's better than, I'll get to it. (laughs) I think, you know, just, just let it come to you and outside of your work, what do you like to do in your off time outside of, uh, you know, nerding out and acting like the rest of us?
1: Um, I'm a ferocious gardener. Ooh. And I live in the part of Canada that is the, the most consistently mild climate. So uh, it's a bit like Southern England. Uh, and Seattle, Portland, right? Because we're just a little bit further north up the coast. So there's that. I love that. Um, I have two children, and of course I love them. So uh, keeping in touch with them and what they're up to in the world, and they're uh, very active in the world. I'm quite introverted, so... They keep me, in a way, connected with the outside world. Uh, And since COVID, um, I subscribe to the New York Times uh, because I admire the quality of the investigative journalism, even if I don't agree with it. And about a year ago, uh, I I saw a, a blurb on podcasts. Uh, that might be interesting to people during the lockdown the lockdown had happened like six weeks before so this one's called this, Jung- this Jungian life and I'd always had an interest in Jungian psychology so I started to listen to that and that's become quite a hobby now during during the pandemic
0: Ooh, is yeah. there uh any sort of guilty pleasure podcast you found that's not Related to uh, psychology. <laughs> no, I, okay. my
1: guilty my guilty pleasures. I, I've gone from rarely watching to TV. Like I watch a ton of TV because that's my bread and butter, and I want to find out, you know, what styles are emerging and who's working effectively. So, my guilty pleasure would be binge watching anything from. Uh, very popular pop culture like Bridgerton to something quite esoteric like the uh, Scandinavian TV series The Bridge you know like I I go all over the map yeah those are my guilty (laughs) pleasures yeah
0: hey they're tasteful guilty pleasures and the rest of the world has joined you with those in the last year too (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's become so common yeah Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, speaking of COVID, what's uh, what what's going on currently with with your career? Are you are you looking for work, or do you have anything lined up?
1: I just finished in January an episode of Turner and Hooch, which is oh. uh, the Disney TV series reboot the think, <laughs> film. Yeah. Awesome. So uh that was what, yeah and auditioning the Vancouver film industry has been in operation since about uh July last mm-hmm. year. So there's there's work out there. Um and I I do what I do. I audition and uh do the gigs that I'm hired for and and enjoy that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. in your hard work has paid off. I have your, so I always keep the IMDB credits, you know, on the side of, of my computer screen when I'm talking to somebody and just like scrolling through everything you've done. It's, it's amazing the variety of work you've been able to acquire as a character actor. You know, no mm. project is the same as the other project, which some yeah. character actors may run into. But I was wondering, do you have a, a certain... Either type of character that you enjoy playing, or maybe a, a genre of uh, TV show or film project that you prefer to work in, or is it kind of all over the place?
1: Well, it's all over the place because I have to adapt to what's filming in my area. You know, um, so there used to be a lot of comedy shot in Vancouver and. That's what I specialized in uh, on stage. I mean, I do drama as well, but you know, it, when the opportunity to do a comedy came up, absolutely signed me up. So that's when uh, shows like Dead Like Me and Reaper were around, and and that was that was great. And then all of a sudden, there were no more comedies shooting in Vancouver. I don't know where the hell they went, but they weren't shooting up here. So I had to change and, uh, adjust. Um, if I had my druthers, I think like a lot of actors, the, the very few indie films that I've been privileged to work on that that's just marvelous work. You know, you're, you're working with real race horses always. And, they're there because they want to be there and there's something, uh, something about the script, but it's very hard to get those projects financed and it gets harder and harder every year. So I think of it as like the checkoff of the, the equivalent of checkoff on stage is doing indie films. Um, and my hats off to American indie filmmakers. I think some of the work is marvelous. Um, but because that is not the case, I've also had to develop chops in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was great fun playing a DC Universe villainess uh, rather late in my career. But that yeah. playing Granny Goodness was uh, a ton of fun. Um, but then so was, uh, trying to create a red herring in Red Riding Hood. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really all I can say. I've gotten to the point now where I'm so fluid at adjusting to what's shooting at any given time that I do my best to bring up those skills the only skill set that I feel like no I never got there was the big sort of military esque shows whether they're oh. really set in the military or the military in outer space that was a world where I just never got my bearings
0: oh well I mean there's still time <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows who knows what might come across your your email or your desk in the next you know right? few weeks but uh yeah. yeah i i don't think i've seen a whole lot of uh, those shows may have fallen by the wayside I, I don't know how many of those productions are still outside of maybe well, ncis yeah there's
1: yeah. that uh there was a ton of them that shot up here for uh a long time all the stargates um yeah a hundred, uh, yeah, there was, there was a big bunch of them. Yeah.
0: So, you know, speaking of Vancouver and Canada, you know, really (laughs) relishing in all these TV and film productions, I have a lot of acting friends who would like to work in Canada. Of course they're, they're based in the U S but what is it like, I guess, trying to, if you've, if you've heard any stories about an American performer trying to get into, you know, Canadian productions, is it almost like a, a barrier <laughs> unless you have a, you know plenty of networking to connect to, or is it, uh, I guess, right place, right time based on what you've seen?
1: I think a lot of it must be right place, right time. Um, there are definitely American actors who have moved to either Vancouver or Toronto. We've got the two centers, much like New York and LA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's other centers now. I know uh, uh, Atlanta. There's a ton of film going on. Uh, I don't know. You're in the Midwest, aren't you, Tyler? Yeah.
0: So uh, I'm based in Colorado. We have, you know, we have Atlanta. We have yeah. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Due to Breaking Bad, I think that's just raised up the right. extra incentive. Right. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've only met a few Canadian actors who've moved into the U.S. to, you know, do some some work in in the U.S. and those productions. But I haven't heard a whole lot about, you know, uh, successful American actors getting into Vancouver because I know, it, you know, it's it, it feels like two competing markets. So I just never know with uh, with how many actors are moving to Vancouver with heavy aspirations and a green card. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um there how do i put this i think that because vancouver is largely service production which means we're we're producing for um american producers <clears throat> that being american is actually a mark in the actor's favor
0: oh okay
1: right um that said it's it's hard enough making a living as an actor. So if an actor is able to get work permits in several locations, whether it's um, uh, States, Canada, and if they speak another language, uh, Spain or uh, Portugal or England or Australia, New Zealand, If you can do all of that and you can get representation in all of those areas, I think that's to your advantage Mm -hmm. as a younger actor. I tried to do it a little later in life and then it becomes problematic because of what you say. It's just difficult to build networks when you haven't been around for the last 10 years. So that's what I would say. If it's possible for you to get a work permit in more than one jurisdiction, check it out. And then it's just a, a financial gain, you know, because you're going to be paying taxes in two places. If you're earning money in both places, um, your, rep, your reps, you've got to, you know, are is everybody taking a piece of everything or is what you make in Canada going to your Canadian representation and what you make in the state? You know those kind yeah. of practical things, so it has to work for you as a business model. I think
0: that's sage advice. <laughs> we <laughs> we need that bad here. We need that education. Uh, I uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We have a, a couple of questions left if you're if you're uh, your game for it. But I do sure. want to. Uh, we ask this to everybody, and I do want to ask you: Do you have a? Uh, like your, your favorite party story that you would tell somebody at a party that uh, surrounds, you know, your profession in acting. Whether it's a uh, you know best day on set you've ever had, or best interaction, or the uh, maybe the worst day you've had on a production. Names redacted, of course. That you yeah. uh, usually like to share with with friends or family.
1: It it's not wasn't a day on set. It's more to do with um. The I find the position that I'm in as an actor as both delightful and <clears throat> ridiculous. So <laughs> the way I explain it to people is to other actors, most of the other actors in the world. I've had an absolutely great career because I've made my living as an actor and raised a family on the salary of an actor. But to the average person, I'm a bum because I'm not famous. Mm -hmm. So uh, to do with that story, I did uh, a part on a short-lived TV series that didn't go the way everybody wanted wanted it to go. Stephen King had adapted a Danish TV series that was all very weird and all of that. And the character that I played... Uh, got killed off in pretty short order. And uh, this was like mm, 12 years ago, Tyler. So at the time I i bought a fashion magazine. I think it was in style and I was leaping through it and I thought, oh, there was a, an article on one of the leads in the series. and I looked at one of the pictures and I looked and looked and there was a dead body in the background where <laughs> this lead actor was. And I thought, my God, that's me and i had the biggest laugh. and i wrote my agent and and told him to look at this page in the fashion magazine in case he thought i wasn't moving fast enough in my chosen profession i'd finally made it into the fashion mags <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> did you did you uh, did you keep that page
1: I did for a long time. I think I finally turfed it, but I loved, I loved that realization that, Oh, I'm in, in style as a dead body.
0: (laughs) Hey, I think you made more of a mark than anybody else in that issue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just so nice not to take oneself so seriously, which, uh, is something i tend to do so i really enjoy the being able to laugh at myself
0: (laughs) oh that's incredible (laughs) uh do you you've given so much fantastic advice to this episode just talking about your experiences but do you have any advice for somebody uh, let's focus on somebody who wants to be uh, an actor or performer do you have any other advice you'd like to instill upon our listeners
1: Uh, The big thing I'd say is don't wait for someone to give you a job. You could die waiting for someone to give you a job. If you're determined to test yourself, um, find a way to get in front of an audience and they will tell you. I think that's something that's very easy to forget. The audience are really the people who tells us whether we're effective performers or not. And so get in front of an audience somehow there's wonderful stories out there of all sorts of far-fetched things that people have done to find an audience and if you find your audience then you'll know So I was lucky I found an audience if you don't find an audience then I think that might be time to reassess you might just be in the wrong part of life as a an artist. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, isn't it just hilarious how some actors I'm sure you've met think they're going to make it at 18 or 19, but their time hasn't come yet. It could be 20 yeah. years, 30 years down the road. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's exactly right, <laughs> I, I, I won't lie to you. I had aspirations of being in a Harry Potter film when I was 13 that didn't happen, sure. <laughs> you know, it's, a, yeah. Yeah. uh, but yeah, that, I think that that's, yeah, that's very appropriate advice for, for those of you listening, you know, stick to that. We have cameras on our phones. <laughs> There's no reason not to make something.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and yeah. speaking of which, speaking of creating or, you know, um, you know, uh, working, obviously being a working actor, do you have anything that you'd like for us to promote in this episode?
1: Um, I did a job last year. I'm going to give you one that's that's not going to work because it's a Canadian show, and most of your listeners are Americans, and I don't even know if they could find it. But oh. I did. Uh, I did a guest spot on a show called Family Law that I really, really enjoyed. Um, about a woman who was being she was suing her daughters for parental support and they were denying her because she'd been an abusive mother and it was uh really juicy and meaty so if you can ever find family law the uh the episode about the mother and daughters at each other's throats um and other than that i'm gonna put another way i'm shortlisted for something so keep your fingers crossed for me how about that (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, yeah
0: are you in the uh the the pinning waiting period?
1: uh pass well, pinning is a thing that doesn't really exist, Tyler, you know, I know everybody uses that language, but between you and me and the the fence post it's b s it's, <laughs> it's not a thing, you know somebody tells you you're pinned whoopee it's not going to pay your rent or put food on the table keep auditioning keep creating you know (laughs) just ignore them and if somebody gives you an offer while you're what they consider to be pinned take it Mm. because it means nothing you know they're wanting to keep you it's like a real bad boyfriend girlfriend right yeah they want you hanging around waiting so that they don't have to go do any more work to get you back but you know it's a free world
0: yeah. i'm saving this episode on my computer for sure because i I'm, I'm pinned for something currently and because th- no one else could give me an explanation of what that exactly means so really
1: it means nothing it. it means they <laughs> think you're great and they'll take you if. So many things outside of your control line up, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So take the win, you know, (laughs) you're on a short list, but somebody taught me years ago, the wonderful Italian saying: I don't bite till the food's in my mouth. The food's not in your mouth, Tyler. So (laughs) keep auditioning and, you know, find somebody who's willing to say, okay, here's the contract. There's your paycheck.
0: Yep. Oh, my God. I love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, um, we are at the uh, tail end of this episode. I'm just going to uh, go through our usual spiel. Uh, Steph actually gives this one before we end each episode. and It's uh, basically just marketing the heck out of the show uh, by saying if you've enjoyed this show. And if you like listening to our lovely voices, please give us a rating on uh, Apple iTunes or anywhere you can rate your favorite podcast. Give us a five-star rating and we will send you a awesome sticker um, that I made personally. That's super cool. Uh, (laughs) We are also uh, accessible on our Patreon page. If you feel the need to support this channel in any way Monetarily, much appreciated. It helps us uh, pay for beans and rice so we can eat that because we are still struggling working creatives. And if you'd like to be on the show, please email us at pwrp.pod at gmail.com because we'd love to sit down and talk to you, whether you are somebody who's been in the industry for a while, has a career, or somebody that's just starting and wants to have a chat. So, uh, Christine, thank you again so much for being a part of this episode. That was a really quick turnaround. Your manager is the coolest. Uh, I would love to send both of you a thank you card and a sticker. So I'll uh, I'll send them an email and see uh, if I can address it towards their office. First uh, envelope Absolutely. we've sent to Canada. So that'll be great. <laughs> um, wow. Do you know about our awkward goodbyes for each episode? No. Okay. So at the end of each episode, since we're on Zoom, it's really easy. I will start the awkward goodbye with a Wayne's World countdown. Countdown from three, two, one, and point. After a beat, we'll each say goodbye in an awkward way. You could be loud, bombastic. You could be quiet, whispering. Uh, You can make faces that uh, no one will see, but I will. And that would be amazing. (laughs) So (laughs) So are you you ready? I'm ready. All righty. We'll do the countdown in.
1: Goodbye. Bye.